Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City. Yes, the first time in six or seven weeks that I've gotten to say I'm in New York. It's great to be home. The weather here is 96 degrees and humid, very humid, but it still makes me laugh to hear all these New Yorkers complaining. Oh my God, I can't believe how hot it is. Can you believe how hot it is? Dude, it was 117 when I was in Vegas, 117. Um, but it was a dry heat. That's what they always say, right? I'm a strange guy. I love the heat. So this 96, 97, whatever it is today does not bother me. The 117 in Vegas also did not bother me. So I know that most of you would hate to be in a place that's that hot. To me, I just complain all winter. So I can't complain at all in the summer, no matter how hot it gets. It always makes me laugh, though, when people are surprised how hot it is. It's July in New York. Like, what do you think? Anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about the World Series of Poker, which is now officially over. And I just want to pick up where we last left off, uh, where we last left off with our hero having made day two of the $1,600 mystery bounty tournament at the win now you guys know that for years now i've been very much looking forward to playing day two of a mystery bounty event and having a shot at getting an envelope with some kind of mystery prize in it i was very excited to be joining the field on day two there were something like 230 players remaining in the tournament and i had an average stack that had me in about 75th place thereabouts so yeah i started the day with almost 300k i mean the chip leader in the tournament had over a million but yeah i was i was on page two of the five page printout of all the remaining players heading into day two of this big tournament it had a 1.5 million dollar guarantee which was absolutely obliterated perhaps because of its placement after the main event but when people were still in Vegas looking for something to play and this felt like a great opportunity to maybe save a summer that's the way I was looking at it and they had a guarantee of one $100,000 envelope but when I arrived I was very pleased to see that they were actually going to be awarding three $100,000 prizes along with ten $50,000 prizes of course, most of the envelopes would just be for 500 bucks. A few of the $500 envelopes also had a like $500 plus pick another envelope. And one of them even had 500 bucks plus pick three more envelopes. So I'm looking around, there's like 230 players left. And oh, by the way, guys, first prize in this tournament was $280,000. That, that doesn't even include the bounties. So yeah, there was a lot of money involved here. The top three prizes were all six figures. So here I am with an average stack and not that many familiar 
faces remaining in the field, no big names were around, and certainly no one that I recognized at my table. I had the third largest stack at my table, so we had a couple of real shorties there, and I was looking to get involved in doing a little bit of bounty hunting <laughs> if the right opportunity came up for me to hunt for some bounties. Uh, I was seated next to the table chip leader on his left. He was an Easter, Eastern European gentleman. I thought he might be Croatian or perhaps Hungarian. Uh, most of the stacks in our, at our table were around 150,000 or less. So there were basically three of us that were the haves and then everybody else was uh, the have-nots. And this Eastern European gentleman on my right was being extremely aggressive. I mean, he was involved in probably 80% of the pots. I think that his plan was to just be a big stack bully, try to collect all the bounties for himself, maybe take a few risks. You know, sure, if I can risk less than 25% of my stack uh, and, you know, go in with any reasonable hand like King 4 suited, maybe a hand like Jack-10 against a short stack all-in and have a shot at collecting a bounty that could be worth $100,000, why not? You know, at least until his stack got a little closer to average, I think that many of you would be surprised at what the correct strategy is in a tournament like this. A full one-third of the prize pool. The prize pool was $3.1 million and over $1 million of that prize pool was in those bounty envelopes. So, yeah, it's well worth it to try, if it's not going to cost you your big stack dominant position, and you can just risk maybe like, you know, 15, 20% of your stack with a reasonable hand, not a great hand or even a good one, but a reasonable hand, uh, yeah, you probably should. And I think that in bounty tournaments, like this one, or especially PKOs that I have played online, people don't realize how important it is to gamble it up and try to get some of those bounties. So this guy was bullying the table, which kind of took the play away from me. I was hoping that he would be a little tighter so that I could try to get my hands on one of those envelopes myself. So uh, I noticed that he was doing that and I was excited to pick up a hand and hopefully play back at him. Now, because he was playing almost every hand early on in the first 10 or 15 minutes and he was having a lot of success, he had built his stack. He started with something like 600,000. He was well over 800,000 at this point. And I was just looking to pick up, really, if he opened from middle position, I was planning to three bet him with any suited ace, hands like King Jack, King 10 possibly even Queen Jack, Queen 10. And I was also planning on calling him with lesser hands like suited connectors, Jack 9, etc. That was the adjustment that I was planning to make versus this opponent who was clearly being exploitative and therefore exploitable. Now, when you do that, you also have to remember there are seven other players <laughs> at your table and any one of them could wake up with a hand behind you. So you just can't do this sort of thing too early. Uh, I mean, position-wise, you have to be in middle, late, or late position. So that was kind of my strategy that I devised in 
the moment. And of course, when you play this way against a very aggressive opponent who's trying to be a big stack bully, you end up having to call off a little bit lighter when he decides to keep putting the pressure on. So that was the plan all along. I was basically looking at him like a 2007 Tom Dwan, and I was going to get a pair and hang on for dear life and just hope that he would bluff into me and that I was going to be able to double up. Now, if I double up against this player, I am going to have the second biggest stack at the table and position on the big stack bully, which is a great situation for me. Unfortunately, the cards did not cooperate, and for the first 20 or 30 minutes, I was only dealt hands like Jack Deuce, 8 Trey. These are not <laughs> what we're trying to pick up, so I just basically had to let him bully the table. And he had great success doing so, and before we knew it, there were fewer than 200 players remaining, and none of the biggest prizes had been claimed yet. So there was something like 195 remaining, and we still had $300,000 envelopes, 10 $50,000 envelopes, or was it five fifties and 10 25s? Anyway, there were lots and lots of big prizes still to be claimed with only 195 players left. And then the following hand came up. This is not going to be a strategy segment. I think that this is a you know, pretty obvious decision for me. Now remember guys, this, this tournament is designed to end in two days. So even though we started the day with 230 players and the average stack was right around 300,000, which is about what I had, I think I had 289 or something to start the day, uh, it, it's still designed to get it over with in two days. So this is going to be the last day. We're going to get to the final table and play the whole thing out on day two. So because of that, the structure of the tournament, it's 40 minute blinds, but the blinds are aggressive and because of the playing style that so many players employ on day one, the uh, aggressive blinds are eating into everyone's stacks, and the average stack only has an M of about eight. So something like 20 big blinds was the average stack. So at this point, there are 195 players left, and the blinds are 10,000, 15,000 with the 15,000 big blind ante so we have 250,000 in our stack and we're below average at this point it's gone up to about 350 and so our m is only about six and we have something like 17 ish big blinds so that's why this isn't really going to be a strategy segment i just want to tell you guys what happened and how day two went for me so we're on the button with pocket queens and the action folds to our big stack Croatian presumed Croatian gentleman on our right who just limps in for 15,000 now he did lose the previous pot and this is the first limp that I've seen him do I really didn't know what to make of it I mean could he be limping with a really strong hand we he does have three short short stacks short-ish stacks on his left myself included uh, it, it's, it's a suspicious limp to say the least, but the way I looked at it, 
Uh, yes, he could be limping with pocket aces here. He could. We haven't seen him limp with anything before. It doesn't really make sense for him to limp with any of his holdings, given the value of the blinds and antes, even to his larger size stack, which is now like over 900,000 or so. Uh, so that's one strange thing about the limp. Uh, also, of course, a bounty tournament, a lot of the value comes from busting people and it's way easier to bust people if you build a bigger pot before the flop than if you try to do so after the flop when they already know whether they have anything or not. So yeah, I thought it was strange that he limped in, but on balance, although I'm aware that he could be limping with pocket aces, pocket kings, it's just strange. And queens with an M of six, it's just too strong. So if he's doing that and this is how I'm going to bust out, so be it. I'm not folding and I'm not just going to put in a normal size raise and I'm absolutely not going to limp behind with pocket queens. So I just move all in for 252000 and the blinds fold and now my opponent shrugs and calls turning over pocket jacks. So there is now an 82% chance that we're going to become the second biggest stack at the table and have a good position in terms of gaining the chip lead at that table so all we have to do is beat jacks with queens and the flop was clean and the turn was clean and the river was a jack so kind of uh, as i wrote on twitter for those who follow me on twitter at clayton comic kind of a microcosm of the summer in general i had so many big pairs cracked this summer and came so close to having a big score or at least an envelope in my hand at some point uh, that this was just kind of I had to laugh because sometimes the poker gods can be so cruel and it feels like so many of the bad beats that I took this summer were on the river uh, of course it doesn't matter whether it's the first card off or the last card off it just feels a little bit more crushing when it happens on the end but yeah, you know, I just had to laugh and look, I, I came that close to having a stack in this tournament and having a shot at one of those big envelopes. But this really leads me to my general take on my experience playing in the 34, 35 tournaments that I played this summer. Uh, this is how it goes sometimes, you know, you could say it be like that sometimes. I can honestly say that I played my best this summer. I felt more prepared for this World Series of Poker than I have for any of the others in which I have competed in the past. I did more study. I, I got into great physical shape. I had a good workout regimen while I was there. I was getting lots of sleep. I was eating pretty well. Not as well as I would have liked. That was one area that I could probably do better. It's just hard to always take care of ourselves, nutritionally speaking, in fabulous Las Vegas where there is so much uh, delicious and incredibly unhealthy food. But yeah, I was there. I was, I was prepared and I was ready to do my best. But there is so much luck in tournament poker that I just had to say, you know, I, I can't beat other people's good luck. Uh, the number of big pairs that I had cracked was unbelievable. I also, by the way, kept track of my significant coin flips. Now, that is defined as 
a coin flip that would bring me to an average stack or that would cost me uh, more than 40% of my stack at any time. So in other words, if I got into a coin flip where it only cost me 10 or 15% of my stack if I lost, I never considered that significant. So I did not count those. Just the ones that would really make a huge difference in my potential as far as cashing in the tournament or winning a lot of money in the tournament or just being in contention for a particular bracelet or not. Those coin flips in all the tournaments I played, there were 11 such coin flips and I won only four. So that's not good. Uh, everybody knows that in tournament poker, you have to win your coin flips, especially the really big, significant ones. And yeah, that didn't work out. And I also lost with a lot of big pairs, many times all in pre-flop. So you get it in good and you lose and that's the way it goes. So I just had to shrug my shoulders. Uh, I know that I played very well, although my results do not reflect that. I had one fairly big online score for about 5,000 and I had uh, just two small caches, including the win mystery bounty in which I finished in 192nd place and got a prize of 2,480 for a profit of just $880 there. So, uh, but still, I had a great time. I love, love, love the WSOP and all the other tournaments that happen around that time. It is by far the thing that I look forward to the most each and every year. There is actually nothing on earth that compares with the World Series of Poker and all the other great summer fun. So I had a blast. I enjoyed my experience. I love doing commentary for Poker Go and CBS Sports. I loved hosting the big CSOP event at the Palms. I had a ball, but yeah, let's make no mistake. It was a decidedly unprofitable summer. So for our actual strategy segment this week, I wanted to look at a couple of hands that I played in the very first event. Uh, right when I got to Vegas, I landed on June 4th, 2022. And on the 5th, I played in the housewarming. So one of the first tournaments that they had at the new venue the Paris slash Bally, soon to be called the Horseshoe. Although at one point they said it would be the Horseshoe before the WSOP started. But as we know, Caesars Entertainment Corporation is uh, not always on the ball. And they didn't really begin branding the property as the Horseshoe. Even towards the end, there was very little evidence that that transition had started. Although I have heard from several sources that they expected to be completed by the end of the year. If anyone would like to bet on that, I would gladly take any action that it will be later than the end of the year by the time the transition to Horseshoe is complete. So, uh, yeah, but that's not really the point, is it, guys? I'm playing in the, in the housewarming event. I love being in the Paris ballroom. It's beautiful. Chandeliers everywhere. People feeling excited. It's great not to see everyone in masks. It's uh, just good vibes all around. I think everyone's very excited to be back in Vegas in the summertime playing cards 
And I think a lot of people were very happy to not be at the Rio. So this was at the beginning and people were generally very, very positive. So we are doing great. This is the last flight, by the way, of the housewarming. I believe there were four starting days, but it might have just been three. Either way, I'm playing on the last of those days. And we're doing great. They start you with 50,000 in chips. And by the time the blinds had made it to 400, 800, with 800 big blind ante, we had 90,000 in our stack. So over 100 big blinds and an M of 45. So the average at that point was only about 60,000. So we are rocking and rolling. So good to be in Vegas. So excited for all the caches we're going to have this summer. And Clayton is just bright-eyed, wearing rose-colored glasses, and very optimistic about what is to come, not knowing about the <laughs> nightmare that <laughs> the poker gods have in store. Anyway, we're in late position. No, sorry, we're on the big blind. We're in the big blind, holding the eight of diamonds and four of diamonds. So eight, four suited in the big blind with our 90,000. A player who's in late position opens to 1,800, with about 65,000 behind. And then the button calls with 45,000 behind and the small blind calls with 52,000 behind. So we all have, you know, decent sized stacks, minimum of 55 bigs. And we're in the big blind with the eight, four suited and decide to flat call. You could definitely put a hand like this into your squeezing range or three betting range um you know it's not a hopeless hand but it's definitely barely good enough to call with and hands fitting that description tend to make good three bet bluffing candidates i was actually discussing this with jen shahadi at lunch the other day uh most players don't three bet enough from out of the big blind and the reason why is because you're always getting such an attractive price to call and see what happens and so typically when players do three bet from out of the big blind, they generally don't have enough bluffs in their ranges for doing so. I mean, why should I three bet with a hand like eight, four suited if I can just call and see the flop? And you're right. I mean, I'm not saying you should always three bet with hands like this. In fact, I'm going to call with it in this spot, but just be aware that you wanna be able to three bet with aces, kings, ace, queen, ace, king, pocket queens, pocket jacks, and maybe even some other value hands, depending on how tight or loose the uh, initial razor is. So to balance that, you need to be bluffing sometimes. Now, a lot of us will use hands like ace five suited. You know, I love ace five suited. And the reason why, just to repeat for those who haven't heard before, ace five suited is never worse than 30% equity versus any hand at all except pocket aces. Now, if you happen to be unlucky enough to run into pocket aces when you're bluffing with ace five suited, your equity is only about, you know, five or 6%, something like that. So you don't want, <laughs> obviously you don't want that, but it's very, very difficult for your opponent to have pocket aces when you are holding an ace. And so that's why so many solvers and so many uh, internet wizards and so many Germans like to include ace five suited into their bluffing range pre-flop. But yeah, I think you wanna have more than just that in your bluffing range and hands like 
eight four suited might be good candidates for doing so. I just called and we're going to see a flop. Now there's 8,000 in the middle and the flop comes king of diamonds, 10 of spades, deuce of diamonds. So king, 10, deuce with two diamonds, hero holding the eight of diamonds, four of diamonds for an eight high flush draw. The small blind checks. Now, do we think this is a spot to lead out? Well, let's see, there are four players in the pot and given the price that I was getting pre-flop, I could literally have all two pair combinations. I could have 10 deuce, king deuce, king 10, of course, all in my range. I could also have a set of deuces. I could also have just a hand like king nine for top pair. And I think with all of these hands, I'd like to have some leads in a four-way pot just for protection and also for value. I may also have pocket tens in my range, which is another possible set. I think I'm pretty much always going to be three betting with pocket kings. But yeah, tens, is it's a little close. I mean, you can, of course, three bet. It's a strong hand. But I think uh, it's probably a mix between just calling and squeezing with tens. So yeah, let's say I'll have some pocket tens, all pocket deuces, and all of these uh, two pair combos, plus some decent to medium strong king x in my range and so i want to be able to bet with all of that range to balance that i need to have some bluffs so i think that bluffing with all of my flush draws is probably a little bit too much like that's too many bluffs for you know to balance the range that i just described for leading out i don't think i'm going to be leading too often with a 10 but you know my opponents probably don't know that because leading with all of our bluffs, with all of our flush draws, would make us too bluff heavy, I think it's best to just lead with some of our flush draws. And I would choose the worst flush draws, like the eight high flush draws. So that means this is a lead uh, for me every time. So I'm going to put in 2500 here. This gives me an incredible price to draw to my flush. Now, if I had checked, and the original razor bet half the pot, 4,000. I'm probably going to end up calling that or maybe check raising, which is also a perfectly fine play as a semi-bluff. Uh, but I think for that price, I probably would just call. So yeah, we want to be able to lead. So I lead small, giving myself a good price. And I can even call a raise if a raise ends up coming. But if it gets raised and re-raised, then I have to worry about a bigger flush draw being out there. I mean, I'm a little bit worried about that with three opponents anyway, but it's not Omaha, guys. It's Hold'em. It's very rare to run into another flush draw when we have one ourselves. So yeah, I bet 2,500. So the small blind checks, I bet 2,500. The original razor in late position just calls and then the button folds. So we're going to be heads up, out of position on King... 10 deuce with two diamonds, hero holding the eight of diamonds, four of diamonds. So now with 13,000 in the middle, the turn comes the tray of clubs. So our board is now king of diamonds, 10 of spades, deuce of diamonds, tray of clubs. Now, do we want to fire again? Well, he just called the first bet. So maybe he's you know got a little piece of this board. He could also have a hand like ace jack or ace queen. 
that doesn't want to fold yet, especially if he has a diamond where he's hoping to pick up a little equity or possibly make the nuts, uh, the, you know, hit his gut shot on the turn. Uh, that is certainly a possibility. He could also have just uh, a hand like King Jack and not really know where he stands and doesn't believe in raising with one pair. A lot of players don't do that, especially when you're playing in a $500 tournament. Players tend to be more passive generally than they would in a higher buy-in. So just because he flat called a small bet doesn't mean we can't put him on top pair. Uh, but obviously he's going to have a lot of other hands in his range too. He's getting a uh, little over four to one on a call. So he might just call with a lot of hands here, possibly pocket nines, uh, you know, maybe not quite ready to fold yet. So do we want to try to barrel him off of whatever he's got? Well, I think you can. I think it's pretty close. Uh, apologies, as always, guys, if you hear the sirens right outside my window. I never know if my microphone is picking them up or not, but boy, are they loud in my room here. Anyway, uh, so what was I saying? Yeah, do we want to barrel again? I think it's close between barreling and just checking to see how our opponent wants to treat this brick on the turn. Uh, I decided to check in this spot because I generally don't like to do too much barreling versus opponents who don't fold very often. Uh, I could put in a really big bet here and possibly even get him to fold a hand like pocket jacks uh, on king 10 deuce, but king, den, king 10 deuce tray. I do think that there's a lot of value in betting, but in this spot, I decided to just check. We can check raise if we want, really representing a hand like king 10 or better. Uh, that is certainly a possibility, but I think that would kind of depend on my read in the situation and what, how strong I think my opponent is when he bets, and that's if he bets here on fourth. So yeah, we check, but if you want to barrel again, I'm not mad at you for it, especially when you only have eight high. It's uh, good to bluff with your very worst hands, although in this case, we of course have all the flush equity in the world. So. Uh, that's also fine too. So we check and study our opponent carefully. He takes about 10 or 15 seconds and checks behind. So I'm thinking that he's either got a hand like ace-queen, ace-jack, something like that, or maybe a hand like pocket-jacks, pocket-nines, where he's not too proud of whatever he's got. It could be uh, a king, certainly, like as I mentioned, some of these opponents in these $500 buy-in tournaments, they do tend to be too passive, and he might just be scared. Maybe my bet on the flop would have scared him away from betting a, a medium-strength king on the turn. But he does check behind, and now the river, still 13,000 in the middle, the river comes the 10 of hearts for a final board of king of diamonds, 10 of spades, deuce of diamonds, tray of clubs, 10 of hearts so it pairs the board and most importantly leaves hero with just eight high with our eight four of diamonds so what to do well let's talk first about bluffing so if we i mean obviously if we check we're absolutely giving up i think our opponent will almost never have worse than eight high right and if he does he's unlikely to check behind everybody at this point knows that you have to bluff sometimes and all we've done is bet very small 
on the flop and then check twice. I think that if our opponent happens to have a hand like 6-5 no pair, he is going to bluff us off of 8 high with a hand like that. And I'm not about to hero call with 8 high. Uh, I could check, go for a check raise bluff on the river. Maybe he gets bold and decides to try to get a little value with his pocket jacks. But honestly, I just think that in a $500 tournament, most of our opponents are too passive to make that play. So therefore, check raise bluffing is less attractive against opponents who aren't that aggressive. So if we're going to bluff, it's going to have to be a bet right here. So if we bet this river, we are representing a pretty big hand, maybe like a trip tens or a strong king. Uh, really any king I could probably bet, but the sizing I'm considering is big enough that I probably wouldn't make this sizing with just a king. Uh, maybe I should though, because I think I could probably get called by queens and jacks, but those would be my only value targets if I made uh, a large size bet on the river. Uh, you can obviously give up, you can check and just plan to you know give up, you win, you called me on the flop, I, didn't, I tried to make my flush and I didn't. And having that type of strategy is actually not too bad in a $500 tournament with a lot of loose and passive opponents that are generally hard to bluff. But if you are going to bluff, I think having this busted flush draw is a good hand to do it with. Now, what would I do if I had a hand like King-10? Well, I probably would have bet the flop and gone for the check raise on the turn and bet big on the river, especially when nobody bets the turn for me to check raise. So that's what I'm going to do here with this busted draw. So this is the bet, this is the bet that I would make with a full house, quad tens, uh, you know, my, my best hands. So I need to also make the same sizing to polarize. So I'm going to bet 150% of the pot here. I did. I put in 18,500, which is just under 150% of the pot. And my opponent snap called and turned over the ace of clubs and 10 of clubs. So <laughs> nothing like bluffing a guy who has three of a kind. But yeah, I hadn't really considered that he would have many tens in his range. Um, obviously, Ace-10 is one of the few that he should have. I think that I have a lot more 10s in my range, calling from out of the big blind, than he would have. So I think I just kind of got unlucky there, picked a bad spot. I did not read him for that kind of strength when the 10 hit the river. So good on him for covering up his excitement. Uh, obviously, if I had known he was that strong, I would have given up very easily. But yeah, I was trying to bluff him off of a hand like pocket nines or maybe jacks or queens. So yeah, we ran into pretty close to the top of his range there. And that cost us quite a bit early on in the housewarming. We did manage to get some of those chips back though. And by the time the blinds got up to 1,500 with a 1,500 big blind ante, we had about 75,000 in our stack. And so we were keeping up right about average, right about then, kind of later in the day. I believe this hand was right before dinner. 
uh, but around that time of day. Uh, we The action folds to Hero, Clayton in middle position, holding pocket aces, and I decide to raise it to 4,000. So big blind is 1,500. We make it 4,000. Some players at this table had been making it 3,500. We hadn't seen anybody make it 4,500. So the range, the raises were either 3K, 35, or four. So I decided to make it four, obviously with the nuts, and the small blind calls with about 62,000 behind. So his M is about 15. And the big blind folds. So we're going to be heads up in position against the small blind and we have pocket aces uh, let's talk about the small blind he's uh early 30s maybe like 31 32 years old uh, large black man with big muscles he's got tattoos um he looks like he works out at least once a day maybe two or three times a day this is not a man that i would want to get into a street fight with i would be drawing dead in that situation also interesting about him he may be deaf it seems that he keeps asking the dealer to confirm bet sizes even when players announce their bet sizes fairly loudly uh, also when he talks he has a speech pattern that is consistent with someone who is hard of hearing so uh, and he doesn't speak very often which i've also found is an indicator that someone might be deaf yeah, and it just seems like he's doing a lot of lip reading for what it's worth. So, but yeah, he clearly works out. Big guy. Uh, he's been playing pretty tight and kind of steady, steady as she goes so far. Uh, he he hasn't made any moves that I've noticed. Um, he, I think he check raised maybe once since he sat down at this table about two hours ago and he took it down. So I don't know whether any of his moves, including that one, were bluffs. But yeah, that's worth noting. He's been mostly tight and mostly passive, and I've been playing with him for about three hours. So we have pocket aces. He calls. We're in position. The flop comes. Queen of clubs, five of clubs, deuce of diamonds. So we have pocket aces with no clubs, and it comes queen, five, deuce with two clubs. Our opponent checks. I'm just going to bet small here. I'm trying to get action from lots and lots of one pair hands, pocket sixes pocket fours uh hands like ace five or six five pocket sevens any queen i just want to get action so we're going to bet small i bet three thousand into the eleven thousand pot and my opponent the small blind check raises to twelve thousand what should i do uh this is tough i mean against a more aggressive opponent I think it's an easy call and just let that opponent keep barreling, hoping that he just turns over a flush draw that hopefully misses um, on the river. Uh, I think against a confirmed rock, we could actually fold to this check raise. Uh, although I think this opponent is mostly tight and mostly passive, and I did note that I hadn't really seen him pull any moves, I'm not ready to say he's a confirmed rock. So for me, I'm not ready to fold just yet i decide to call the check raise and i'm hoping that the turn is a brick and that my opponent checks because i'm not exactly comfortable now against a more creative or more aggressive opponent i would be thrilled that he's putting so many chips in because most of the time pocket aces are going to be good on queen five deuce 
So now with 35,000 in the middle and my opponent with only 46,000 behind, the turn comes the 10 of clubs. So our board is now queen of clubs, five of clubs, deuce of diamonds, 10 of clubs. So the flush came in and our opponent out of position shoves for 46,000 into the 35,000 pot. So about 33% above the pot size and he is all in. So what do we think his range is for doing this guys? I mean, I think that he could very well have flopped a set and it's just going to shove hoping that I didn't make a flush on this turn card. Uh, he could have a hand like ace queen with the ace of clubs. Because remember, we have aces without the ace of clubs. So that hand is certainly a possibility. And it's just a beautiful barrel card for that hand. He could also have a hand like queen 10, although I would underweight that one a bit just because I don't think that too many players in the $500 buy-in range are check-raising on the flop with just one pair. And the other obvious possibility is that our opponent might have a hand like king jack of clubs and now has a flush and is thrilled and excited to have gotten there but also worried that i might have the ace of clubs in my hand and doesn't want to take a bad beat versus my ace of clubs if another club comes on the river so sometimes you'll see this they'll just go all in with a very 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 strong hand but they don't really want to call so I think on balance, this is a fold. I hate having to fold pocket aces, but I hate even more putting in this many big blinds with just one pair against an opponent that I've already kind of classified as mostly tight and mostly, mostly passive, who is now playing a very aggressive hand versus me, the chip leader at the table, or one of them anyway. So I did make the fold. I do not know what my opponent had. But that is a hand that has kind of haunted me because it was the first of many times this summer that I had to fold an overpair due to the action given. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I want to thank you guys, as always, for your continued support. If you haven't had a chance to do so yet, please get on Spotify and give us that five-star rating. And if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, we really appreciate if you guys can leave us the five-star review. And you don't have to write a lot of words about how much you love me or anything like that. Although if you want to, we always read the reviews and we do appreciate it. The most important thing is that five-star rating because it helps us climb the ranks in the ever-growing poker podcast space. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Fold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Yeah.
with her, a hot day we will be. Why little gambling is fun when you're with me. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's love, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh, what?